Well, what a week it's been, huh? About a week and a half ago, we were just celebrating such an awesome start to the fall. We had over 100 kids at Awana the other Wednesday night. It was great. Our CLS classes were full, just a lot of people, and it was great. We were excited about just launching into this new year. And then this last week comes, and we thought we'd be starting a new sermon series this week. And then by Tuesday, we didn't even know if we were going to be having church, just kind of waiting to see what the storm was going to do. And... When you looked at that storm, I mean, I'm sure like all of us were just kind of glued to some degree to the, to the TV and the news and just wanted to see, okay, what's this thing going to do? And it was so massive. I mean, it looked like it was taking up just almost like half the eastern seaboard as the thing was approaching. And with that, questions just come. So God, why, why would you allow a storm like this? God, God what, how, how are you working? What, what are you doing? And maybe, you know, this storm missed, but some of you, you're still in storms of life. And life is tough, and life is difficult, and sometimes questions come. God, how come you act the way you act? How come you work the way you work? God, just what is your nature anyway? And so this morning, we're going to uh, just kind of not start our new series. We're going to look at a, to, to the book of Job. And ask the question, you know, when God seems silent in a loud world, what do we do? What do we do? Perhaps you found yourself, you know, on your knees many times praying a repeated prayer over and over and over again. And God just seems silent. Like the, the, the answer's not coming. God, I, I, I can't see you working. I'm looking, but I, I, I can't hear you. What, what are you up to? And so... We're going to look at the book of Job. The book of Job, his story is told through poetry. His story took place uh, during the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We don't know exactly when, but sometime during that time frame. And uh, the story of Job, if just a casual read through it, and it's liable to leave you just heartbroken and confused because here's a man. I mean, Job was a good man. He was a good, not just a good man, he was a great man. I mean, he was the most righteous man on the planet. He was a, he was a faithful husband. He was a fine father. He was a loving friend. He, he was a man of influence. He, he was a hard worker. He was the kind of guy you root for, the kind of guy you pull for. You, you love guys like Job. If, if you're on top of the world, I'm sure Job could relate, but then the world got loud. God seemed silent, and everything in Job's life just came crashing in. He lost his house. He lost his job. He had to mourn the death of all of his kids. He lost his health. A man who was uh, at one time admired and looked up to, now he was a pariah. He was difficult to look at with the calamity that he was facing. And with everything going on in his life, as you can imagine, marital tension sets in. And and, and he's having difficulty at home. And all of this happened because... Satan comes to God and Satan says to God, you know, the only reason why Job loves you, the only reason why people love you is because you're good to them. I mean, look at Job. Look, he's got a wonderful wife. He's got nice kids. He's got a great family. He's got a nice job. He's he's wealthy. He has influence. Of course he loves you. And God says, no, Job loves me simply for me. I'll prove it to you. Consider my servant Job, do your worst to him, just don't kill him. 
And so Satan does. God seemed silent. The world seemed loud. Job was dealing with all kinds of calamity. You talk about hurricanes of life. He experienced them all. He had a few friends who came to him repeatedly and kept trying to counsel Job and tell Job uh, what he needed to do and what he had done wrong and how things could be made right. Numerous conversations with him. This grieving man, he was living a tough life, a hard life. God seemed silent. The world seemed loud. And as you dream and as you plan and when life is hard and when troubles seem to mount, there's going to be voices. There's going to be people who come counseling you and telling you, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to think. This is what you have to do in order to experience some measure of success and how you're going to get ahead in life. This is what you need to do. Whether you're on top of the world or whether you feel like the world has her foot on your neck, Job could relate because he experienced both sides of it. And in a world full of abuse and scandal and selfishness and hurricanes and natural disasters, this is a question that gets asked over and over and over again throughout the course of human history. Why does God work this way? What is God up to anyway? Go ahead, turn in your Bibles this morning to Job chapter 22. We'll begin in chapter 22. The way we're going to study the text this morning is we're going to look at what was true then, What was going on then in the life of Job and the counsel from his friends? And after that, what is true always? What's true for all people of all times in any culture? And then we'll ask the question, what's true for us today? So, So what do we do today when God seems silent in a loud world? Then, always, now. That'll be our method this morning. So let's go ahead and and get right into it. We're jumping into what is the third conversation between one of Job's friends, a man named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, he keeps coming to Job. Job's got three friends, by the way, who repeatedly come to him, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they they just want to give him advice, tell him what he's doing wrong, how he needs to think, what he has to do. Let's go ahead. Job uh, chapter 22, we'll begin in verses 1 through 5, looking at what was true then. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is it not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. This is the counsel of his friend Eliphaz, and his words are just dripping with condescension. I mean, in other words, Eliphaz, he's saying, hey, Job, Do you really think your righteousness is of any use to God? Do you think by you being good adds anything to what God is doing? Does he really need you to be good? Does God really care? I mean, God is so perfect. He's up high in the heavens, and and he is perfect in your righteousness compared to God. I mean, come on, Job. What does it add to what what God is doing? How could you be profitable to him in any way? You're, You're deceiving yourself, Job. God is so distant, so big, so perfect, he can't possibly care or need your righteousness. He says, the the only reason why God cares about you at all is just 
to kind of make things fair, to make things right, to level out the playing field. God cares about your sin. You've got to have just mountains of unconfessed sin, Job. There's all kinds of iniquities going on in your life that God must be punishing you for. This righteousness that you think you're adding to the table, God sees right through that. Eliphaz, he reveals a lot about his theology right here. What he's saying, this is the point, that poor theology led to misrepresenting God and misunderstanding life. Eliphaz, he has this poor theology, and it led to misrepresenting God and misunderstanding life. Eliphaz, he sprinkles some truth into what he's saying. There are bits of truth into what he's saying. It is true that God is completely self-sufficient. It is true that God is not in need of you or me. It is true that, that our righteousness compared to God's, I mean, it's as filthy rags. I mean, it is true that, that we don't really add anything to the equation. That is true. But what Eliphaz misses is that God delights to fellowship with humanity. That God delights in our righteousness. He yearns for fellowship with his creation, with his people. That God loves to love us. Eliphaz misses all that. He has this bad theology going on. He's thinking that God is so big, so perfect, that God has so much on his plate, just holding all things together, that God is somehow removed from the situation. He he thinks, hey, Job, (laughs) you can't. You can't gain God's attention by being righteous, by being good, by being obedient. God couldn't possibly care about that. Because if after all, your righteousness would be nothing to God. And to the extent that God does care, it's merely to punish you for your unconfessed sin because God is ultimately a God of retribution. This is the thinking of Eliphaz. And because he's thinking this way, his poor thinking leads to misrepresenting God. He takes a God who is intimately involved in his creation, a God who has created his creation intimately and loves his creation, and he's made him some kind of distant God. He's he's turned him into this automated balancing machine, just trying to level things out and make Everything just one for one in this life. A a God who has plans for Job and Job's life. And he turns him into a God who is only there to judge Job. See, he's just misrepresenting God. Keep, Keep reading. Poor theology, it caused Eliphaz to misrepresent God, but it also causes him to misunderstand life. Look at verses 6 through 11. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing, and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Eliphaz goes on, he he says, hey, hey, Job, you've got all this stuff in your life that you should have been doing, and you never did. You you thought you were righteous. You thought you were living an upright life. You thought you were being obedient to God, but Job, you've missed it. 
You haven't been righteous at all. The reason why God is doing this to you is because at your core, Job, you are a heartless, greedy man. That you have no concern for the needy. That you refuse to care for the widows and the orphans. That you have all this wealth and power. That you are a man of means. But Job, at your, pow- at your core, the only person you truly care about is yourself. Deep down, Job, you are a greedy, heartless, cruel person. And so God is simply leveling things out. It's time for retribution. It's time to make things fair. See, Eliphaz, he has this poor theology, and it's led to a complete misunderstanding of God, a misrepresentation of God, and now a misunderstanding of life. He's got this wild imagination working. He's trumping up all these kind of false ideas, all these false charges against Job. The facts of the matter are Job's character was so pure, so righteous, that that's why Satan picked him out. That that's why God said, yeah, consider my servant Job. Look at his heart. See, he's not suffering because he was evil. He's suffering because he was righteous. Out of the whole crowd of all humanity, this was the most righteous one. And because of his righteousness is why he's suffering. Eliphaz thinks, no, 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 no. You you may have fooled us into thinking that you're a good man, but really you're a hypocrite. And to prove that, God is judging you. And this is why bad things are happening. This is why hurricanes come. This This is why difficulty happens. This is why there's cancer. This is why there's abuse, because we're trying to level things out. This is the kind of God that's up there. He's trying to make things fair. Eliphaz, his misunderstanding of life, it goes further. Look at verses 12 through 20. Eliphaz says, is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see. And he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us. And what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. And the innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off. And what they left, the fire has consumed. Eliphaz, he's already falsely diagnosed Job as this evil, greedy sinner. But now Eliphaz tells Job why he sinned. He says, Job, you thought that God was so far away that he would never notice your sin. You you thought that you could hide from God. You you, you thought that maybe you could fool everybody else into, into convincing us that you were this righteous man. But Job, you can't fool God. That God's judgment has exposed you as a hypocrite. Eliphaz says, I I know your motives, Job. I I know your heart. I know your attitude, Job. You you thought since God was far away in heaven that you could get away with sin here on earth. See, after all of this poor theology, which led to a misrepresentation of God, a misunderstanding of life, now Eliphaz, he has the audacity to tell Job, I know just why you've been sinning. I know that you thought you could get away with it all. I know what's in your heart. I know your motives. 
And now he tells Job, but there's hope, Job. This is what you need to do. Verses 21 through 30. Eliphaz says, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you. And you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter, and it will be established for you. And light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride. But he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Do you hear what he's telling him? He's telling Job, hey, Job, just agree with God. Just repent. Job, come back home. Trust God's word. Live according to his standards. And God will forgive you. Everything will be all right again. And your treasure, what, what, what you enjoy most, it won't be all your wealth, all that stuff you had before. No, Job, what you will really treasure now is just the sweet fellowship with God. That this is what you need to do. See, the scary part about it is this section right here, I've read this in Christian cards that we give to people to encourage them. The problem is, this is from the pit of hell. This is false theology that Eliphaz is just spewing to Job. Saying, Job, here's your problem. You have not agreed with God. That Job, here's your problem. That you valued your wealth over your relationship with God. Job, here's your problem. You've trusted in the worldly wisdom rather than the words of the Lord. Job, all you have to do is come back. The only problem is Job is not suffering because he has sinned greatly. Job is not suffering because he's a cruel, evil man. He's not suffering because he has neglected the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan. Job is not suffering because he's trying to cover his sin from God. He's suffering because he's righteous. And we look at a man like Job. You say, how, God? How could a man this righteous? How could a man this good? How could a man this faithful, this loving, who serves faithfully, who worships you daily, how could this man suffer like this? How could he go through all of this? You see, people from all cultures of all times have asked these questions. Everywhere, people have wrestled with questions like, what is God like? How is God working? We, we see examples of these questions all over Scripture. People questioning God. God, how are you, what are you like? What is your nature like? How are you working here? You go back and you see God and he tells Abraham and Sarah, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. And Sarah starts laughing she says, God, come on, I'm past my prime, I'm way too old for this, I'm not going to be giving birth to a son, you got to be kidding. God, what, what, what are you up to anyway, what, what are you talking about? And then there's Moses, and he's been wandering around in the Midian desert for 40 years, and God shows up in a burning bush, and Moses says, come on, God, you want me to go back and lead 
Your people out of Egypt? You've got to be kidding me. You must mean someone else. It couldn't possibly be me. Come on, what are you up to? And then there's Gideon, and God tells him, hey, you're going to go out to battle. And Gideon says, God, you've got to prove this to me. There's no way I could believe that. Come on. What are you doing? Then there's the prophet Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, he's there, and he's saying, God, look at your people. Look how evil they are. How are you going to tolerate this? What kind of God would tolerate the evil of his people like this? And then Habakkuk comes back to God and says, God, you're going to use the Babylonians? Come on. You're going to use the Babylonians to restore your people? They're worse than we are. You couldn't possibly do that, God. What are you up to? Why are you acting this way? In the New Testament, there's the apostles, and they're on the boat, and they, they, they look at this, and here's Jesus, and he calms the storm. And they're looking at each other terrified in fear. And they say, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then later, there's, there's Saul of Tarsus. And, and God says, I'm going to use Saul to be my missionary. And the apostles say, God, you've got to mean a different Saul. It couldn't possibly be that one. Do you know what he's been doing? What kind of God would use him as a faithful missionary? See, these questions are not new. People from every generation all throughout the course of human history have spent time asking questions like, what is God doing? What is God up to? What kind of God would? These questions are the same today. You've heard them. What kind of God would allow? Why does God permit? What is God up to? What kind of God would? These questions aren't new. In fact, Eliphaz, in his poor theology, he, he's just spewing out the same answers that you get today. This theology that our God is ultimately a God of retribution. The God is some kind of heavenly scorekeeper trying to make sure that everything is fair. It's childlike theology. It's the root of prosperity theology. And people often hold on to it. That the idea that life just has to be in a sin-cursed world, that life is somehow going to be fair. I mean, I hear with my kids, Daddy, she got nine goldfish. I only got seven. That's not fair. I've heard it from a friend. Man, Steve, I was a good worker. I was working hard. I was the best one at the company, and I got passed over, and he got promoted over me. That's not fair. You heard it in government. Man, you got the 1% over here, and you got the 99% over here, and that's not fair. And sometimes you hear it in the church. Man, they're enacting laws, cultures changing, the church is being persecuted, and that's not fair. See, this whole idea of fairness, it's been around a long time, and it still thrives today. It's the roots of prosperity theology. You hear it from Eliphaz, you hear the same thing today. It's always existed. It's not new. That God is up there trying to make everything in a sin-cursed world fair and so Eliphaz says, Job, repent, and light will shine upon your path again, that everything will be good again. Job, if you are good, then life will be good. Job, if you are obedient, then life will run smooth. Job, if you are righteous, then your life, it will go just great. Except what happens when it doesn't? What happens when you're serving faithfully? And then you get that grave checkup. What, what happens when you're worshiping every single day faithfully and then the hurricane hits? 
What, what happens when you're good, but life isn't good? What happens when God seems silent in a loud world? People of all generations in every culture have asked these questions. If you're asking these questions today, you're not the first, and you most certainly will not be the last. It's not new. Job dealt with it. When Moses fled Egypt, and, and he went into the desert of Midian, and he wandered around there for 40 years, he, he's asking the same questions. He even named his son Sojourner, because he wouldn't hear from God for 40 years. God seemed silent. You go, you just read through the book of Psalms and just highlight every time you read the phrase, don't keep silent. Just go through and do it. it re- it's over and over again in the Psalms. Don't keep silent from me, God. Don't keep silent. You look at after the prophet Malachi spoke. There were 400 years, the intertestamental period, between the end of the Old Testament and then when that angel would come again and he would describe that, hey, there, here comes John the Baptist and shortly thereafter, here comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Questions as to why does God seem silent? Why, God, do you seem distant? Why aren't you answering me? How are you working? What are you up to? They've been around for a long time. And I think that's why the Bible gives us so many examples of people throughout history, people, faithful men, faithful women, who have asked these questions, who have wrestled through these hard topics. Let's turn back to Job because I want you to see what's true now. That if you have these questions and you're wrestling with these questions, that Job provides for us an example of what we can do now. You know, maybe you, maybe you don't have these questions. Maybe life is good. Well, there will be a time when suffering hits, or at least a time when others come to you and they wage questions such as these. And it's good for the church to be equipped and able to respond to these hard questions of life. And when you need to respond, Job is a great place to turn. Job 23, verses 1 through 12. I want you to remember in chapter 22, Eliphaz, the Temanite, he's coming, he's telling Job, hey, Job, here's why life is bad. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you need to do. And if I were Job, I'd be ready to respond to Eliphaz, the termite. But I want you to notice how Job responds, okay? Verses 1 through 12, chapter 23. Then Job answered and said, today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Then I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. 
My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job responds to Eliphaz calmly. He's not criticizing Eliphaz for all of the charges that he's trumped up and levied against him. God seems silent, to be sure. Job's complaint is bitter. His life was a life full of calamity and hardship, and he's got all this counsel, loud voices telling him what he ought to do. But when Job spoke, he spoke calmly. He had a lot he could say, and he said, if I could only find God, I'd love to tell him what's going on in my life. I know that he'd be an advocate for me, but but I can't seem to locate him. Job says, I looked in front of me, but I couldn't find him. I looked behind me, but I didn't see him. I know he's working. I looked to the left, I looked to the right, but everywhere I look, I can't seem to find God. I can't seem to see him now. The world is loud. God seems silent. He seems distant. I can't seem to locate him. We've all been there, haven't we? We just want a clear answer from God. When we've got big decisions in life or troubling news or something, and we would just love it if we got home from work after a rough day, and there in the mailbox, the top letter was a letter addressed just to you from God, letting you know, here's how everything is going to work out. I've got everything under control. Here's how I'm working. You would love it if you could just pick up the phone and on the other end of the phone was God and he's just there to reassure you, okay, here's what I'm doing. You, you can't understand it all right now, but here's the way everything is going gonna, is gonna to work out. Here's how I'm going to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. This is what I'm up to. But the walk of faith doesn't look like that very often. Job says, God, I can't see you. I'm looking in front, I'm looking behind, I'm looking to the left, I'm looking to the right. I can't seem to see you, God. I can't seem to locate you. I'd sure love to find you, but I can't see you. And then Job says, but I trust that you can see me. God, God, I can't see you. I can't hear you, but I trust that you see and you hear me. And God, when you see me, you will see me as faithful. You you will see me as walking in line with your commandments and as being faithful to the instruction you have given me. You, You will see me as being obedient to the standards that you have put in place. When you see me, I will come out as gold because God, even though I can't locate you, I will be faithful to you. Even when life is hard, even when the storms mount, even when calamity has struck, God, I will be faithful. And when you see me, I will come out as gold. How does Job do that? What do you do right now when God seems silent in a loud world? You study. You study God's word. You treasure his word. Because God's word, it it teaches us who he is so that we don't misrepresent him. It teaches us about life so that we don't misunderstand life. His word comforts us when difficulties mount. His word counsels us. It reveals to us that the promise for the Christian is not an easy life. It's the direct opposite. 
The promise for the Christian is persecution. The promise for the Christian in this life here and now is difficulty and pain and suffering. And when you see the early church, what did they do when they experienced this pain and this tribulation and this hardship? They were high-fiving each other. They were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus. See, God's word, it, it prevents us from misunderstanding life and having this idea that, well, the evil are always going to be punished and the, and the righteous are always going to get ahead in this life. God's word directs our steps so that when he seems distant and when we can't seem to locate him, we know the path that we are to take because he has spoken clearly in his word. In a loud world, when there are a lot of voices vying to get your attention and trying to counsel you, are you allowing God to speak to you through his word? Or are you running to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, trying to get an answer that would agree with what you want to hear? God's word is always true. It's always a light to our path. See, Eliphaz, he's just spewing the same stuff that you'd hear today. Well, this is what you want to do. If you want to have a good life, you want things to go easy, here's what you need to do. It wouldn't work because that wasn't what was going on with Job. See, when I want to understand God, when I want to understand life, I go to his word. I study his word. I mine it for all it's worth. I don't just read it through. I'm underlining. I'm looking. God, what do you want to teach me? What, what do I need to know? Maybe you look at Job's life and the world back then and you say, well, you know, his world probably wasn't so loud as it is today. He probably had plenty of time to sit there and just contemplate the word of God. But when calamity hits, you know, when you've got everything in life just seem like life is against you and the world has their foot on your neck, your world is plenty loud. When you got people coming over and telling you, hey, this is how you need to live, this is what you need to do, your world is plenty loud. But Job said, hey, I'm going to study his word. Not just books about the Bible, as profitable as they can be. I'm going to study the Bible. Job did not succumb to the foolish, faulty thinking of his friends. He treasured God's word, and it gave him the confidence to say, that God is so much stronger than I am, and he's so much bigger than I am. It gave him the wisdom to say, even though I can't locate you right now, God, I know that you never lose sight of me. It gave Job confidence because he knew the character of God. Let's continue reading Job 23, 13 through 17. Job says, but he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I, when I consider I am in dread of him, God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced because of the darkness, nor because thick darkness covers my face. Job says, God, I can't always understand you. You act according to your own will, to your own desires, and I'm unable to figure it out. Your ways are beyond my ways. I can't always make sense of what you're doing. And that terrifies me. 
That, that, that scares me. I mean, it sure would be nice, God, if you would just check in with me once in a while and say, hey, Job, here's what I've got planned. What do you think? How, how, do you, how do you think this will turn out? Do you think you can measure up to that? Could you handle that? What do you think, Job? It sure would be nice if God would run things by us first, but it's silliness, isn't it? It would be like me going to my four-year-old Pierce and saying, hey, Pierce, you know, we're kind of working on the family budget right now, and I just wanted to get your input, you know? What, how much do you think we should allocate for you for food this year? You know, what, what do you think you're going to eat? Silliness. Job says, God, I, I recognize that you don't need to check in with me. Even more than that, I recognize that you don't need the counsel of anyone. That, that you are self-sustaining. You don't, you don't have to consult anybody. That, you're, that you can act however you will and however you want, and it will always be perfect. And the thought of that, it terrifies me. That you are so big, so powerful, self-sufficient. That you are omniscient, that you know everything, that you are omnipresent, that nothing ever escapes you. God, it, it terrifies me that you are a God like this, and at the same time, you're still personal in my life. That you could be a God this big, covering the whole expanse of all the universe, and yet you still care about me. And that you're still intimately involved in my life. That you care more about me than even I care about me. That blows my mind, God. I, I can't seem to figure that out. Job doesn't do it here, but when God seems silent in a loud world, you study, you fill your mind up with who God is, and then just give thanks. Give thanks that there is a big God, a powerful God, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God who is a personal God, who loves his church, who loves you, who cares for you, who is provided for you, who's involved in your life, that even when you can't see him, he sees you. That when you recognize a God this big, a God this personal, a God this powerful, it scares us. There's a healthy fear there, but it also ought to cause us to give thanks. I find it very comforting that I can't figure God out. I find it very reassuring that I can't fully grasp the nature of God or how God is always working. I find that very comforting because I realize that I can't even figure out how to put my kids' toys together half the time. And if I could figure God out and what God was doing and how he was working, that, that would be a much scarier proposition. It's very good that God is beyond us, that, that we can't fully grasp everything. But we can grasp enough to know that he has told us enough to know that he is good and that his ways are good. And that even when storms hit and we can't make sense of it all and it all looks like a mess and here's calamity striking and health is poor and natural disasters and just evil atrocities, we say, why God? We can trust that God is good, that ultimately somehow he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. Even when we look at the situation and we say, God, there's no way, I don't see how. We, may, we might be like Sarah, we might laugh. We might be like Gideon and say, God, I need proof. God says, just trust me. Study, give thanks. 
And then look at chapter 24. We're going to go to chapter 24. And in chapter 24, Job begins and he just recounts all the evils in society. He's just going through evil by evil after evil after evil. And it's, it's a lot of the same evils that Eliphaz had even uh, brought before Job earlier and said, you're guilty of. Job says, God, I can't seem to figure out what you're doing. And then he concludes, verses 18 through 25. Job says, you say, swift are they on the face of the waters. Their portion is cursed in the land. No treader turns toward their vineyards. Drought and heat snatch away the snow water. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. The worm finds them sweet. They are no longer remembered. So wickedness is broken like a tree. They wrong the barren, childless woman and do no good to the widow. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. He gives them security and they are supported in his eyes are upon their ways. They are exalted a little while and then are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all the others. They are cut off like the heads of grain. If it is not so, will you prove me a liar and show that there is nothing in what I say? Job essentially says to God, God, I'm looking around, I'm checking things out, and I can see that sometimes in this life, it looks like the evil get ahead. Then I'm looking around, and sometimes those who are evil, those who are bad, those who are wicked, that in this life, sometimes it looks like they're the ones who are advancing. They are the ones who are powerful. They are the ones who are in charge. And God, I can't make sense of that. That how could they be prospering? But he says, God, I trust that if not in life, then in death, you're going to make everything right. God, 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 I trust that their time will come, that there will be a time when they will be forgotten at the womb, when the worm will consider them sweet. I understand they will be done away with. I, I see that. I, I, don't, I don't fully understand why they're allowed to prosper and why it sometimes seems like the wicked get ahead and the righteous are put down. I don't get that, but God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I trust that you're going to make things right. I trust that in the end, all things will be made right. All things will be good. Trust. That is ultimately the theme of Job's response. God, I trust you. God, I can't seem to locate your presence right now, but I trust you. God, God I can't seem to figure out why you're working the way you're working but I trust you. God I, God, I can't seem to make sense of why you tolerate the things you tolerate, but I trust you. What do you do in a loud world when God seems silent? You study, you give thanks, and you trust. Trust. Job would never get a straight answer from God as to why God was allowing all this stuff in his life. I mean, we get it centuries later. We can read the book, but Job never got it. And when God did finally respond to Job and answer Job's questions, God just responded with questions of his own, all designed to get Job to say, I trust you. I tr your ways are beyond my ways. I trust you. You know things that I don't know, so I trust you. You are powerful where I am not, so I trust you. 
In a loud and crazy world, there's going to be all kinds of voices vying for your attention, telling you how to think, how you're going to get ahead, how you need to respond, what you need to do when things aren't working out right. What I want you to hear this morning, if nothing else, is that this is all you really need. For today and for the rest of your life, this is the book you need. Because these are the words to build a marriage by. These are the words to raise a family by. These are the words to have a marriage by. These are the words to be single by. These are the words to counsel by. These are the words to minister by. These are the words to serve by. These are the words to love by. These are the words to live by. And in a loud and crazy world, whose words will you be listening to? Heavenly Father, we confess that we can't always figure you out. That God, sometimes in this life, it feels like you are distant, that you are silent. And God, sometimes the world seems so loud. But God, when that happens, draw us back to your word again. Help us to study again, to understand who you are and what life is about so that we do not misrepresent you to others and that we do not misunderstand what what is going on in our life here today. God, when we consider a God as big as you, as powerful as you, as omnipresent, as omniscient as you are, God, it, it does give us this healthy fear, but God, at the same time, we give thanks that a God that big cares about us, each and every one of us, personally, intimately, that you know what's going on in our lives, that even when we can't seem to find you, that you never lose sight of us. So God, we thank you for that. And God, we trust you. We trust in you and in you alone. And God, for where our trust is faulty, for where we trust in our own selves, God, break us of that. Increase our dependence in you. We recognize that our dependence in you is not partial, but it is total. Help us to model that well to our culture. We ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.